Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Sinusoid Cables. Right now, they are uh, selling a limited run Houston giving cable. Uh, it's on sinusoid.com slash Houston. The profits go to Samaritan's Purse uh, for their Texas relief efforts in the wake of Hurricane Harvey. Yeah, it's a really attractive looking cable too. Uh, I'm assuming the uh, the red and blue motif is, you know, Texas colors. Yeah, those are uh, the representing the Texas flag, the red and blue. Gotcha. There's no white, but, so you know. It's pretty cool. Uh, something we've always loved about Sinusoid is how transparent they are with the costs of yep. their business. Like, they have a thing on their website breaking down, like, how much goes into their pocket, how much goes into the pockets of their employees, how much goes into, you know, the uh, the actual materials and, and everything. It's a full breakdown of the cost of them making a cable for you to buy it. Uh, is from what I understand, their gross profit from this right. is going directly into the pockets of uh, charities that are helping yeah, out. They are taking time uh, out of their own day. They're donating basically their own time because too. they're not. This is basically you're buying a cable. You are paying for the cable and the jacks. Everything else is being donated, so they're not. They're not paying themselves, right? They're just pay, buying the material and making it for you yeah. and then donating the rest to the to Samaritan's Purse. It's a really cool thing for them to do. Uh, you know, it's sort of one of those things where, you know, I'm sure they're thinking, you know, we'll donate the way that we can. This is what we do. Yeah. Let's, let's make cables and, you know. Smiles. And smiles. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Hey, this is Ryan. And this is Steve, and you're listening to 60 Cycle Hum, the guitar buying, selling, trading, modding, fixing, breaking, review, review, plot podcast. <laughs> podcast. <laughs> one day, one day you're going to get it right. Yes. I think you've gotten it right a couple of times. I feel like you used to, you got it right for like the first two years. I used to read it every ah. episode, and then I, I've been trying to do it from memory. Try it again, uh, but do it slow, like jazzy. The guitar buying, selling, trading. Fixing, modding, breaking, reviewing, playing, podcast. That's a lot of snaps. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think I could snap that fast. Oh, snap. All right. Uh, do we want to get into this? Do we have, a, have anything new going on, Steve? Um, I do not have anything new going on. I'm still trying to sell that strat. Oh, really? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if the market's down or if I'm just priced too high. Maybe you should take taking that uh, that Jaguar trade. I know. Or that uh, one of the guys on the group actually offered me a tonal recall, but like I'm trying to avoid shipping, but maybe I should take that up. I got boxes here. You yeah. Oh, something? you do have guitar boxes. Yeah. I got that big mono box. It'd be perfect. All right. Maybe I'll hit him up and see if he's still down. Yeah. Not you got a soft it. case just throw it in or something? Uh, no, it's in a hard case. Oh, there you I'll, go. I'm Perfect. I'm going to sell the hard case, yeah. too. So I'll just put some uh, bubble wrap to give the hard case a layer bef- between it and the cardboard, I guess. Yeah, and here's what you do. Trade for the tonal recall. We'll send one to we'll send one of our tonal recalls to Joel for the red knob mod. Yeah. And then we'll do a video with him. And then you can sell one if you don't want it. Yeah. You know? Let's do it. We'll figure it out. 
All right, uh, this is about the time of the show where you ask me if I've got anything new. Oh, yeah, new. right. You got anything new? Yeah, I do. Well, it's kind of new. It's you old. You almost new. moon voice there. <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, so I was thinking about selling that pink Dean that I have. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't want to sell it with the Tisco pickup in it because I had this really funky Tisco pickup in the bridge. So I'll swap out that pickup for the Dean humbucker that was in the other Dean. Which is cool because it's a double cream, which I don't know how they pulled that off without, you know, how'd they get that past DiMarzio doing a double cream? But anyways, I swap it in there and playing around with it and the humbucker sounds great. And I'm like, ah, this is a fun guitar. Uh, maybe I should keep it. Nah, I should sell it. And then I had this thought, oh, I, I ordered a box of uh, arcade switches to do momentary uh, kill switches with. I should stick one in this. So then I started a new project with this guitar. Instead of immediately putting on the market for $50 to get money out of it. Right. And to get, you know, save myself time, I embarked on this, you know, like three-hour project of drilling holes and cutting a pickguard and wiring things up. And now I've got an arcade button on it. I've been having a lot of fun so, playing this guitar. Of all of the mods to do, I know. You know it's like, oh, I'm going to put this humbucker in it because I don't... Because I don't think I'm going to get a lot for it. And then you go arcade button mod. Yeah. Which is either, a, I feel like that's a love it or leave it sort of yeah. mod. Especially in that color blue. Well, I thought the blue was cool because it's like a contrast against the neon pink. Right. I could have gone black or white. I ordered this box off of eBay. It was like 10 bucks, and it came with like 12 uh, arcade buttons. Oh, cool. So I got a bunch Are you going to put them on anything else? I might put one on another thing. I, I'm going to save that for the future. Oh, okay. Talking about that. Uh, maybe I'll put one on that the Epiphone uh, SL when it comes in. There you go. There's room on there. But, yeah, it's, it's a bunch of fun. I'd always wanted a guitar with a kill switch. So I'm kind of considering this like my test of the concept right. and like figuring out the way to do it and whatnot. Because I, I made some blunders. I was trying to use this big drill bit and it like grabbed onto the pit guard piece and like tweaked it really bad and put a crack by the screw. Oh no. And like put a big gouge in it. So it's really imperfect, but uh, it, it looks really funky. And Did like you I just said, try to fun. go from like no hole to like a, for the full hole. On no, one well, shot? I was using one of those uh, big drill bits that has like a, uh, like a guide uh, screw on the tip and then gets really big. Because it's a really big hole for the kill switch. Okay. It's really big. It's like almost the size of like a quarter or something like that. Hmm. Like it's a big button. Right. So you can't use just the regular drill bits. You can see my bit up there on the the wall. It's got blue tape around it right now. Oh, okay. Oh, one of those. Yeah, Yeah, one of those. So that dug in and really screwed stuff up. But the the button's uh, like sleeve around it kind of covered up most of that so it's not a big deal still i still think i could put this guitar on craigslist and get 50 bucks for it like someone who loves funky stuff is gonna see I, it and I be bet like, yeah if you I keep that, that till the 200th episode you could sell it to somebody who comes for 50 bucks that's true or i was thinking we could raffle it at the 200th episode. that'd be cool like do a raffle for it so apparently, know, depending apparently on how like, many people, depending on how many people show up, you might be better off just unless you're going to do like an open mar- raffle to like the entire group. Well, we might do a couple raffle prizes if we do a raffle, you know, like kind of like follow Cowerfest lead and get right. Some stuff but I'm in saying there. if it's like a must be present to win and only like five oh, people yeah, show yeah. up, 
Like, no, we did. A, I did the poll on the group, and like twenty five people said that they would most likely show up. A few of those, so I, like eight. A few of those, I looked at him and I was like, "No, there's no way." Yeah, <laughs> you just said yes because you want to feel positive. I didn't look at the actual poll results. I was just looking at some of the comments. People were like, "I'll be there if it's in Florida." I know, right? Uh, but. You know the way it is. Like half the people who say they will come to an event don't come. I don't even but know. Then, if, I don't even know how I'm going to go to the 200th episode. Steve, you're supposed to record <laughs> with me. But then half of the people who do come bring like a friend and a half with them, so you end up with the same amount of people. We should more. record the 200th episode like a week ahead of time, and then have the 200th episode party, and then just not record. Oh, and do like a live, like play of it, or like. Just do the party. No, we should just. Well, some people want us to uh, do like you try to do YouTube live or something for it. No, that's dumb. Or like a Facebook live or some kind of so live. The thing is, like, that sounds like a great idea, but then you're really going to all this effort for like the eight people who actually watch the full thing that's live. That's true. You know, that's it's true. the live thing. I've, we've already experimented with that. Ryan, we have 8,000 subscribers on YouTube. I guarantee, like, <laughs> we're coming up on nine. Ten of them will watch. We're coming up on nine pretty quick. Yeah. We're like eight, seven, something like that. Oh, I don't know. I haven't looked. Yeah. It's, it's, it was going quick there for a while after that Epiphone video. But yeah, those are things we're thinking about. The 200th episode is really only 14 episodes away, which is, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but then you realize it's 14 weeks. Yeah. It's 14 weeks. Uh, yeah. 14 weeks. So that's like, Three months, like exactly three months. Yeah, September, October. I was thinking about us. So it'd be like early December. Us doing it a few weeks before those episodes would air, anyway, so that it gives us time to figure out if the audio is any good and what we need to do. Yeah. Like if we need to do it as a clip show where like you and I are sitting around afterwards, like talking about whatever, and then bringing in clips from the live show. We'll figure it out. This is boring for the regular listeners. I know. To listen what to. the heck? Why Let's are we get, talking about this? Should we get into an ad? Yeah. You know what I never think about when uh, I cruise Craigslist? <laughs> what do you never think about? I don't think about uh, whether or not something uh, – like I never think about how much the seller knows about this. Every now and then I think about it. But I think in this case of this ad, it's pretty clear that the seller knows uh, not much. Yeah. Doesn't know much about this. Yeah, Cody Hanlon set this in. Uh, the it's I think it's on OfferUp in Florida, and uh, the title is "Don't Know Much About This." The text is selling that it's bass guitars thing. It's worth two thousand, but I'm selling it for one thousand. Uh, how do you know it's worth two thousand if you, you don't, don't know what much about this? Yeah, they, they doesn't seem to know anything for about what it. Worth, I can't even tell what. All this is, but I don't think there's two thousand dollars worth of. I recognize here. quite a bit of it. I mean, first of all, we've got a Fox pedal kingdom. Is a pedal? It's a pedal board, by I, the way. Oh yeah, this is a pedal board. Yeah, it looks like it's in an ATA case. I recognize a kingdom. I recognize something from Walrus. There's the Pog. There's a JHS thing in there. There's. Uh, I think that's one of the the anniversary tube screamers. Okay. Or one of the. You know what I mean? It yeah. had like the clear knobs on it or whatever. Is that just an AB switch on the It was bottom? like the metallic finish uh, tube screamer that came out. Yeah, I'm betting that's an, that. No, I'm betting that's a looper hmm. or an amp switch or something like that. Uh, did you call out the JHS pedal? I think yes. that's an Angry Charlie or uh, something similar. 
looks like a digital delay from Boss and a digital reverb. And I, I think that dark one by the volume pedal, I think that's a carbon copy. There's a car. Hmm. It's something. It's something. I don't. Or it's like, I don't know. Something about it to me is saying maybe it's a full tone pedal of some kind. Yeah. I I don't know. Anyway, I I don't. Oh, and there's a tap tempo in there too. And I don't know what that blue thing is. It's some kind of walrus pedal. You think that's a walrus pedal? That blue thing? I think it's definitely a walrus pedal. Yeah, because it's got the round. It's got the round logo underneath the foot switch. Yeah. Uh, oh, and then of course a polytune and a tap tempo switch and an, and then a, a uh, Ernie Ball VP. Yeah, volume pedal. So, I mean, let's figure out the value really quick. Let's just call everything here average one seventy five. I think that's high. One fifty. I was going to say the average here is probably like one twenty. Let's call it 125 just to uh, round up. Okay, so you got four on the four on the left. If you were to call those four 125, that puts you at $500. Yeah. The four on the right, that's another, that's $1,000. So I guess there's like maybe, I feel like the volume, polytune, tap tempo switch, and looper, whatever thing. That's all under 200. That's bucks. all under 200. So you're looking at maybe a twelve hundred dollars here but then you got the case and you got all the cables and whatever yeah, power situation yeah i guess i'd That's be willing true. to call this worth sixteen hundred like like flip okay. potential so like picking this up for a thousand yeah you can probably make six hundred bucks right well not make six hundred bucks you can probably make Four hundred, and then you'll have a bunch of patch cables and power source right, left over. You right, because you're not going to sell. Going to sell off. Yeah, you're not going to sell patch cables. Like no one's going to buy your, you know, dozen patch cables. They might buy it, but you know, you're going to be not going to be making a lot of money on off of that. Uh, so yeah, the, the price is is very tempting here, but it's very obvious that the person selling it doesn't own this stuff, right? Or they're not the person who is the original owner of it in the way like maybe they're selling it for a friend who doesn't know how to use Craigslist or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's like what? Obviously the assumption is that it's stolen. Yeah. Like you say stolen. it's a bass guitar thing, but, but I these mean, don't I, seem like bass pedals. Do they? No, I mean, really. you can use anything for bass. Yeah. And yeah. this could be a functioning bass board. It just doesn't give me that vibe. No, it doesn't. I mean, like I having a little Sherlock Holmes visions here, like thinking about you know, like visualizing the riffs that would be played with each pedal, and I'm mm-hmm. not getting bass. I'm not getting bass at all. And you know, bassists typically, I don't know, a tu- the Tube Screamer like throws it off the most, and the Angry Charlie. I think the I feel like the Kingdom throws it off the most for me. But you could use a Clonish type pedal for a bass. Yeah, but. Don't Clons you use- aren't really known for like their low end. Yeah, that's true. I've u- I've used the um, architect because it's got the EQ. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's got the. Well, the architect has a ton of low end on it. Yeah, but that that's because you can dial it in. It's ridiculous. Uh, but certain pedals on here you could use for bass, like the Pog. You could use the reverb and the delay mm-hmm. and the volume pedal and the tuner, obviously. But then the rest just doesn't scream bass, really. Yeah, I jumped over on to offer up in Tampa, but I haven't been able to find this uh, list because well, it's sold right away. Yeah. 
So I was like, I don't care. I don't want to know the story. Just give it to me. Well, and I mean, so I've seen stuff pop up on on different groups where people say like, oh, I saw this thing and, um, you know, this deal seems too good to be true. And in some cases, it's a scam. Sure. Legitimately. But then I've seen a lot of times people just jump to... Like, oh, it's probably all stolen. Why else would it be so cheap? But some people are just like, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I've kind of changed my position on this over the year. I've never felt bad about giving somebody what they want. Sure. So, like if they're asking for a certain amount of money and you give it to them, you don't feel bad for that. Um, nor have I ever really – I've bought a couple things, so it's been a long time where I felt like the person selling it didn't exactly know what they were selling. And so I've gotten stuff cheap that way. Sure. But again, in that situation, like, I, I don't well, know. Well, in the case I don't, of if they don't know what they're selling, then it's like, obviously, they didn't buy it. They're not They're not the one taking a loss on it. Right. Well, Whoever I've, they got it from is the one who took a loss. I've seen people... Um, uh, I've seen people like sell stuff for cheap that they just like, I guess they didn't know the value of it. So they know what it is. They're like, Oh yeah, I know I have, I've had this pedal. Like so if you find like a tube screamer on Craigslist for like 40 bucks, right. And maybe say you find like an, an old 808 for like sure. 50 bucks or whatever. And you're like, that's a $300 pedal. And you go and buy it for like fifty bucks. That guy knows what it is, but maybe all he did was like, "Oh yeah, I googled Tube Screamer and like, right, right." I went to Guitar Center and like just looked through their effects racks, and I so saw. So then some you don't feel ones. bad, like you know, like buying a closet classic, you know, Strat off of someone, and they're just like, "Oh, it was my grandpa's old guitar." I don't know. Two hundred bucks, well, I mean, come get it. In some ways, like, and I, we've talked about this on the show before, but years ago in San Diego, there was this lady who was like selling her husband's. Cars. Yeah, yeah. I think she wanted like two hundred dollars each, and I looked at him and I was like, I e- emailed her. I was like, Yeah, like I'm interested, um, but uh, they sold like probably right away. Yeah, immediately. And I emailed her. I was like, Yeah, I think each one of those guitars was probably worth like four or five, six, seven thousand dollars. Like, because they looked like sixties. Like yeah. it was a sixties jazz. So you were the spoiler. Sixty Strat. I was a spoiler, but then if I had actually like been um if i had been first in line like i don't know if i would have necessarily been like sure oh yeah i mean maybe i would have gotten there and been like look like i can give you this money right now but this is what i would do if i was you like i would go to you know such like this guitar but like at probably at the time like uh a place like buffalo brothers and been yeah. like you should take these in there and have them appraise these for I you. I still wonder if that whole thing was an email address harvesting scam or something like that. I don't think the lady knew what it was because it was like a, she had it listed as a seven ender. Right, right. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I guess – so that's one of those things where when I list, I try to list items obviously like as good a spin as I can. So, you know, years ago – uh, I had that Ibanez. I think it was a S S B G two hundred or S B G four hundred. I forget which one. I think it was the two hundred. And I listed that as like, oh, great Japanese playing, like just like a Les Paul Junior style, and, uh-huh. and like hyped it up. 
And I sold it to this guy and he's like, oh yeah, like, oh, so this is like a really great playing guitar for the price. And I'm like, oh yeah, totally. He's like, oh, are you selling it? And I was like, I don't have room for it, (laughs) which is accurate. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I bought it for the purpose of flipping, but I'm also not keeping it because I don't have room for it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do go back and forth on that kind of stuff. Maybe that's why I'm in such a dry spell. Maybe I've been like, it's karma. (laughs) <laughs> it's such a shady, shady no, I seller. I think the market's just down in general right now. Like, I think everyone has gotten tired of um, collecting everything. Everyone's got a ton of gear right now. It's all George Green's fault. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so should we move on to a topic or something like that? Yeah. Uh, would, you, would you, if this was local, would you have been hitting this guy up? A thousand bucks? Would you have invested a thousand bucks into... With clearer pictures, I might. I think I would have at least taken the time to to math it out and figure out, yeah. you know, figure out exactly what walrus pedal that yeah, is. I think if figure were, out exactly what that dark one is. If there was a legit flip, you know, three four hundred all like that, I could go plus three or four. Yeah. It'd also be nice to know the make and model of that case. Yeah, like uh, is that a legit like well, this is only, case this or is, is only that picture like a one gun of two. case? Yeah, this is only picture one of two. So who knows what the other picture was? Yeah. Um, and it's probably uh, just and, a picture of like a dog on a futon. Right. And turn the other uh, side of that is um, what, uh, how much do I think I could get for it and whether or not I could even actually get $1,000. Like, cause I guess if I you a, could get, if you're, you're saying if you could get the pocket money to go buy this. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, I guess like I probably, I have an emergency fund. So technically like I have the cash to do this. So is this an emergency is what yeah. I'm asking. <laughs> could I sell this fast enough that my, that I would theoretically avoid any emergencies? Right. right. I mean, you could potentially pull, like you could potentially like increase your money by 50% with this. Right. Right. That's a pretty safe bet, but then there's some footwork involved. You have to you have to sell everything. Well, with something like this, you sell everything on reverb one by one. Yeah, and just take your five percent or whatever loss. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, we're gonna hit this amp. Um, it's set in by Caleb Neff. It's not an amp. It's a question. He says, "Yeah, it's a topic. Uh, is there a real difference between a clone of an amp versus the real thing? For instance, is a real matchless DC30 worth the extra two thousand over a Seriotone Dizzy30 with proper speakers? Is a Tyler twenty twenty Worth $500 more than a no-name 5E3 clone with good speakers. Um, so I think both of these situations are are maybe a little different. Sure. Um, so I guess from just a pure cash angle, you know, the answer is probably no, if, I, if I'm being honest. The answer is no. Sure. Is, is a matchless DC30 worth $2,000 over a Seriotone Dizzy30? I don't even know what amp that is. It's a matchless DC30. It's just a... No, I mean this this Seriotone. It's a clone of the matchless DC30. Oh. That's why it's oh, called the Dizzy30. Oh, Seriotone is that Malaysian company. Yeah. I, I remember now. So okay. instead of there, like this model is probably actually called the Seriotone. It's made by Seriotone. I think it's actually called the much less... Dizzy oh 30. my gosh, that's great! And like, so all of their names are kind of like these puns. Yeah, they're the ones who who make that Klon Centaur. Clone. Yeah, and it's like, called like the Centura, but it's got the exact same. They reproduce the box. Yeah, and everything. Yeah, like in that case, like there's a even bigger question because I think in reproducing the box, not just by like going for the look of the box, but by actually reproducing the box, like they're 
in like a trade dress conversation now. Yeah, but they're a foreign company, so it's like right. You can buy them here through se- overseas sellers, but you can't be like a dealer here and sell them here. Yeah, you know? right. Because then you're breaking the law. Judas Priest. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, there's a couple different ways I think to look at it. Uh, buying, uh, you know, he's one. I think the second example is a little easier. Maybe is a Tyler 2020 worth $500 more than a no name 5e3 clone with good speakers. Um, presumably like both of those, I, I don't know specifically what the Tyler 2020 is, but I know there are a lot of 5e3. It's the tweed deluxe, yeah. I believe. Um, I said, yeah, like I know what, you, what yeah, you're talking I'm, about, but I'm just agreeing I'm with pre- you. Pretty sure it is. Like, yeah, you sound like you know what you're talking about, yeah, Steve. I agree w- with that. It's one of the classic like Fender tweed circuits. Yeah, I yeah. think it's I the mean, deluxe. There's there's a million of these, you know, like champ, like clones out there and things like that. And yeah, you know, like people reproducing Princeton's and people right. reproducing Marshalls all over the place and whatnot and Voxes. Yeah. Uh, whether or not it's worth it, you know, like let's, let's tackle that a little yeah, bit. So I think one angle is, you know, Tyler has been around a, a, a while. So if you're going to spend the extra $500, I, you know, I don't know what that looks like. So uh, you buy a Tyler, say that extra $500 means you're paying 1700, uh, versus paying like 1300 for just, sure. a, for just a clone. You're just paying for some guy's labor, basically. I don't know if those numbers are realistic, but, you know, let's using those numbers. So your no-name 5e3 clone, like, if you decide later on you don't want it, you now have an amp on your hands that probably isn't actually worth it. Like, you can say, oh, uh, it's a no-name 5e3 clone. That's about all you can say about it. You got to find somebody who's, like, willing to buy into, like, the same mythos that you bought into. Uh, But when you... Go, turn to sell the Tyler, like people are going to recognize, oh, that's a Tyler. Right. They're not just like looking for an amp. So um, from that perspective, like down the road, it might be easier. But as far as the value goes, you know, like where I was kind of going earlier is if your bottom line is just, I want to play something that sounds good, you, you might find something really cool this way. Oh, sure, sure. I mean, there's a lot of amps that are very affordable that sound good. Yeah. Uh, it's, this might not be the exact specific thing that you want. Uh to me, there's two angles on this, like whether or not it's worth it. Right. The first angle, obviously, is resale. Like, does the random clone that you bought, either you were just talking about this, does a random clone that you bought mm-hmm. have any resale value? It's got no name on it. You know, is you know, is who knows who built it or what the qualities of the components are and things like that. And obviously, brand name goes a long way. Brand recognition goes a long way. Uh, and if you've got something with brand recognition, you might save $500 getting, you know, your custom clone made by some no name guy who does a great job, but then you spend that extra couple hundred dollars on the branded one. And now you can sell that thing for close to what you bought it for, you know, where the other thing is going to lose value a lot more dramatically. (laughs) I think one of the, one of the bigger questions, and and I don't know all of the details on, on the seriotone example, Mm -hmm. Is um, I think for the most part, Seriotone's whole deal is just trying to do like uh, now they call on one of the websites that's selling it called Guitar Amps USA. They describe the Dizzy 30 as a tribute to the Matchless DC 30. Mm. But I've always heard that the Seriotone stuff was basically trying to be a component for component, right? Like piece, whereas like 
if uh, Tyler puts out a a five e three circuit, like it's not they're not just going and trying to do a part for part clone of of a Fender Tweed amp. They're they're going to kind of have their own approach to it. Yeah, so yeah. that that could be something that's like. Well, that was going to be uh, my my next point. Um, we've talked about this this pedal before the uh, the M drive and yeah and other things like that. Uh, isn't there another pedal that's got a really low component count too? What am I thinking? Uh, of? Probably, but the, but these, but the M drive is the one that that's yeah. been talked about a lot. These, these very simple like drive pedals, where you know the component count is simple, the schematics are simple. But then whenever people try to make a clone themselves, they're like, ah, it just doesn't sound all that great. Yeah. And, and then the people who own the real deal are like, what are you talking about? This thing, thing sounds awesome. And what it comes down to is you have someone making these things who, yeah, they have their, their component list, but they're actually going through each component and physically measuring them to get the exact component value that they're trying to hit. Because components have, like, variances on them. Like sometimes right. big variances. Yeah. And if you don't hit those marks, you can go sideways really quick. So, you know, these people building these pedals or amps or guitars, they have these very specific tolerances in, in their own mind, their own recipes, you know, that they hit when they're working on the thing that no one else can hit. Right. And that's part of what you're buying when you're buying a more specific brand name. Like, you know, I'm sure, you know, like Chris Benson or, or uh, you know, that Tyler guy you're talking about. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, whoever else. Like if if they were working on, we'll just say, a Champ clone, uh-huh. they would be putting their own spin on it. And they yeah, they're going to do, some, there, they're gonna do some, some kind of development. They would They would be using their magic golden ears to find the the component uh loadout that does the exact thing that they want to do right like when we've gone to um gone to Cowerfest, i was sitting there listening to benson and i feel so bad what's the what's the guy's name the other amp builder uh at Cowerfest was it august not august uh, i don't know what what's his amp company was it uh jack no damn it jack this Rohn. is so embarrassing I don't. Without knowing the company, I'm not going to know who the guy was. Plus, uh, I didn't go to uh, Cower from, this from year. Milkman. Why can't I oh, remember his name? Oh, uh, Tim. Tim. Tim Marcus. I feel so bad. I had a super brain fart. It's really hot right now, by the way. Guys. Oh, dude, it's like sweltering it's, in here. Yeah, it's like a heat wave right now. So, forgive me for my mind not working. I'm sorry, Tim Marcus. But anyways, I was sitting there listening to Tim Marcus and Chris Benson chew the fat about amps. Right. And like the way they're talking about components, the way they're talking about response from speakers and from, you know, transformers and things like that. I'm like, I've never heard anyone talk about amp components yeah. in this way before where they're cooking on a different level. Yeah. Where if there's some guy, you know, in a garage somewhere who, who got a schematic for a champ. And he's like, oh, I've made three or four of these, and they sound pretty good. Like that guy's not on the same level. Yeah. Or he's like, he, you know, he might be that guy who's, oh yeah, I use uh, I use orange drop caps because they're the best. It's like, well, why are they the best? Oh, you, just everyone knows yeah, the best. Every, every time I see a picture of someone else's amp, there's those orange drop caps in there. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah. no, like there's there's a finer art to these things, and if a a builder earns a name for themselves. 
then maybe the value is there if that's something you care about. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm talking about this, but I use a stock Princeton Reverb. Right. And a stock uh, <laughs> Ibanez amp is like my main amps. Right. And things like that. I use this, you know, all my amps are stock really like a classic 50 and all these things. Like uh-huh. I'm not out there cork sniffing, but if you are a cork sniffer, <laughs> maybe that's where the value is, you know? Yeah. In the expertise of these very specific builders and in the brand names that they built. We've done a lot of rambling here I think No, I mean, I think that's a good point. I, we can probably just leave it at that. Um, just, you know, these guys build these things. A lot of them know, like, they've tried every component that you can try for a particular part. Uh-huh. Every brand, and they, every brand, every type, every whatever, you know. Um, so they're, they're, familiar usually, they're with, usually doing yeah. something specific. They're as familiar with every component of the amp as you are with the uh, the glasses in your cupboard. You're like, yeah. I know which cup is my cookie dunking cup. I know which cup is my favorite, like, coffee cup. I know which cup is my favorite tea cup, you know. And that over there, that's my big beer cup. Like, you get, like, a specific relationship with, you know, specific components. Yeah. And you know exactly what they're best for, even if it's a, you know, a laughable concept to someone else. Not laughable. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> Having trouble talking, having trouble thinking today. Yeah, all right, let's hit this next ad. No, let's do some housekeeping. Housekeeping! Uh, We had two people join the Inner Circle in the last couple weeks, Uh, so thank you to Javier Herrera and Charles Gibson. Uh, I have your guys' shirt information, so there should be a shirt... Uh, and some other stuff. I on just reordered way. a sticker uh, stick. Yeah, actually, I'm waiting on those stickers. For the inner uh, circle. Something that uh, we're, uh, I don't know, I, I, words are just, I'm in the same boat uh, <laughs> as Ryan a little bit. But um, basically, yeah, I'm going to send you guys some merch, uh, I guess, as soon as those stickers come in. Yeah, uh, it shouldn't uh, take long. That. Shouldn't take long. I, and, it might uh, even be here uh, in time for you to pick them up this weekend. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, other thing is uh, nothing. Uh, thanks for supporting us at the $10 level. That's our inner circle. Uh, if you guys support us, uh, you can or want to support the show, go to 60cyclehumpcast.com. Uh, there's a link there to click on support the show. It'll take you to our patron page, which is patron.60cyclehumpcast. No, I don't know. It's on Podbean somewhere. Yeah, yeah, you'll find it. Uh, 60cyclehumpcast.podbean.com. I think there's a support the show or patronage link there. Uh, if when you join the inner circle, you get a now uh, basically, eventually, possibly going to be exclusive uh, inner circle type of shirt. It's it's not basically at the best friends and inner circle level. We are getting merchandise that we are only giving to those people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with the shirts that we have now, they are available to buy to uh, anyone. Uh, we've got the classic logo shirt on a gray Heather. Yeah. And then there's also the threadless shop. If you do, if you want to contribute to the show or just want to have swag and you don't want to join the inner circle, we have a threadless shop. The a link, lot of people bought those mugs, man. Yeah. We've got mugs. I think we up sold there. like uh, a like good four, number of them. Four or five of them. Came up. That's a good number. Yeah. Uh, so we don't make a ton of money off of that, but it's more about getting, you know, the merch that people want. Yeah. And, it, and there's a variety there because we wouldn't, we wouldn't have been able to do like mugs on our own. I don't no. think. I, I mean, well, we, the, the we thing could have. It's like just shipping kills you with that stuff. Yeah. It just kills you because you got to pay for the shipping from the place that produces it and then to the To actually send it. it. So yeah. Threadless is kind of doing like a, well, they're not even drop shipping because we're not, 
there people don't order from us. They order from 60cyclehum.threadless.com. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's jump into the next ad Yeah, here. this next ad is a uh, Moserite copy. This was sent in by Ryan. Thanks, yeah, Ryan. Yeah, that's me. I found this on our local Craigslist a while ago. This no, this is on Reverb. Reverb. I found it on Reverb. Um, so you want to read the copy or should I? Uh, There's not a lot. I'll read it. Yeah, you read it. Okay. Uh, Morales Moserite copy. Or Moserite copy. 1960s <laughs> cream color. Morales Moserite copy by Zenon. Zenon. Pickups have been wax potted to prevent microphonic feedback. Thin neck, great trim, good player, no case. So I was looking at this, and oftentimes I'm looking at kind of like Moserite copies and you know cheap versions of them, you know high yeah. flyers and whatnot. And I always have this debate. Uh huh. Yeah, this looks pretty good, but it's six hundred dollars plus a hundred dollars, hundred fifty dollars shipping, so seven fifty. Seven fifty. If I just throw another 150 at that, I can get a brand new Hallmark, right? Basically, and that's where I'm always sitting, and it always keeps me from buying things like this. And yet, you only own one Hallmark, right? I know, right? Well, I every time I play a Dinosaur Ghost show, I'm like, I really need to get a second Hallmark. I need to have a backup, uh, but I don't actually need to because it very rarely breaks strings, right? But it's that it's that impulse, you know. And I've always wanted the uh, the traditional Moserite, you know, kind of upside down fat strap body sort of shape thing going on you know live out my my ramones fantasies and my ventures fantasies in one fell swoop um but yeah the the that cost issue always just hits me and this looks like a really good example to me it's hard to know without playing it but it looks like it has a really good like example of a of a copy of that mosaic trim on it the pickups look legit on it uh, everything on it looks legit except for, you know, the headstock is obviously like a Japanese import right. the variation. The nut is metal? Yeah, that is actually a really close um, representation of what Moserite used. Oh, okay. They had these. Uh, and it's, it's, it's and a, a zero fret. It's a zero fret, but then the, the nut is really more of a string guide and it's, it looks like a big like metal lipstick right. tube. Um, the hallmarks, they used to have that, but they don't do that anymore for whatever reason. This one does look pretty good though. The, I mean, everything looks like it's in pretty good shape. It looks like maybe the switch tip is gone, but that's replaceable though. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. So do do you think this is worth like seven fifty? I think locally? Yes. I, I have trouble paying for the shipping on this. The real question is how good is that bridge actually? Look close up on the bridge. Look at the position of the saddles. They're all the way yeah. back. I wonder if this thing has intonation issues. Like they had to, they shifted it all the way back, trying to find. Maybe intonation. it's just never been set up. Yeah, that's true too. Maybe it's never been set up correctly, or the person, someone had it, and they're like, "Oh, all these are, you know, in a weird place. I'll just screw them all back." Right. <laughs> you never know with these things, and that's really the risk with this too. Like you don't know. How good or bad it's going to be. Yeah. It's kind of beat up, but in a charming way. I like the relic on this. It's a nice natural relic. I, w- I would totally play this as a stage guitar for sure. It looks like the tuners have been swapped out too. Those can't be, those can't be stock, right? Those aren't original. Without seeing the back of the headstock. Yeah. There was a, know. there's a screen grab on, there was a picture on Reaver, but I didn't screen grab that. It looks like a modern closed back tuner, which I don't think would have been right. on. Uh, this guitar so yeah what what are your thoughts on that as far as like buying 
instruments that are close, but if you just threw a couple hundred bucks and they're like, you could just get something way more legit. I think maybe there's more interesting examples in this. I mean, you know, you're talking about the price, but, and granted, this does have the, the pickups that I think are probably closer to what a Moserite would have. But in, um, aesthetically, they're, they're very similar. But uh, I was it's just thinking, not a humbucker. It's, it's their own thing. I was thinking about how that uh, Univox High Flyer was on our local Craigslist forever for yeah. like 400 bucks. Yeah. So I think there are certain like well, brands that We know someone who tried to buy it, and the guy was like, ah, I don't think I want to sell it now. Oh, really? And he just took it down. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, it's kind of that, it's kind of just a, overall, it's an interesting question. It kind of starts getting into, though, this is more modern, like some of the Eastwood conversation of sure. you could get. Well, I also have this thought about the Dan Electro Moserite copies. Right. Uh, where those are basically, I think they're like $700, $800 new mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. But. They're they're way not as good as a Hallmark, which like nails the Moserite thing down almost perfectly. And it, like I said, it's only a couple hundred dollars more than that. Like, yeah, that's it's a whole debate. Like, what is the place in the market for the uh, the seven hundred dollar Dan Electro version when there's a nine hundred dollar version? Right. That like blows it out of the water i think i think that's fair i think that's uh you know i think that's a, a kind of a classic-y question and unless i mean i guess there's situations where like that's that's the case and it's worth it to like you i'm i guess so specifically i'm thinking of like the hamer specials yeah versus like a gibson uh les paul jr like a hamer uh studio versus like a Les Paul studio where it's like similar shape, similar idea going on. Uh, but those Hamer studios for a while, like, or the, is it the studio or the special I'm thinking of? The one uh, that looks like a double cut. Les Paul yeah, special. Yeah. Like those can get, you know, pretty cheap. They're like cheaper than a Gibson, but then I guess the like, import, the import ones are, but if you look at the U S ones, like the U S Hamer is still like hold value. Like I've seen the U S I've still seen the U S ones like cheaper than, uh, Gibson's would be, or at least sure, like in the sure. same sort of price range, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think know. that's I think that's a harder comparison because Hamer kind of developed their own reputation. Yeah, as outside like a of custom being, shop, outside of being you know a Gibson style guitar. Um, the something an idea that throws a wrench in my whole thought here though is brands like Fender and Gibson though, right? That have a different price point every hundred dollars like yeah like yeah you could spend three hundred dollars more and get a much nicer strat you could also spend a hundred dollars more and get a nicer strat you could spend a hundred dollars less and get a less nice strat you yeah know? <laughs> like, they're all over the map and it really just comes down to what your budget is right where in this case something that's trying to be a Moserite, like there's just a lot less available right like you've got your your j terser versions that are like two hundred dollars which are probably not great. And then you work the way up, your way up, and then you're hitting like the Dan Electra ones, which some people like them. I didn't, mm-hmm. the ones I've played, I don't think they were great at all. They were really like dead feeling to me. Um, and then you work up from there and you've got uh, companies like Hallmark. And then you go up from there and you've got companies like, uh, I think they were called M3 
and they were out mm. of Los Angeles and they were making like dead clones yeah. of, of Mose Wright's for like three grand or something like that. And then I think Mose Wright themselves still exists in an import sort of way. I think they're being made in Japan, which gotcha. is, I think those are like two grand, three grand somewhere in there. Yeah. So you, you have less options, but then I feel like under a thousand dollars, you might as well go for the hallmark is really what I keep thinking. Yeah. Like this is a debate I'm having for myself. Here. <laughs> like this isn't me trying to sell anyone on hallmarks. I just like keep dancing around with this. I really don't need another guitar right now. It's stupid. You need it. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's hit our next topic. This was a question asked by Adam Dolhanek, the inboxer. He says, I've never been a fast player. Am I just screwed? Um, I don't know. Ask your wife. Is it, uh, is it a problem for you <laughs> yeah, guys yeah. that uh, you're not a fast player? I mean, it's not, uh, you know, the, 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 first, the fastest isn't the winner. I'm not, the time, you know? I'm not a player. I just crush a lot. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, uh, Cole Duke from the Gear Slum replied, and he said, playing fast is like shooting threes. Some people make their whole career from it. Some can't do it to save our lives. I'm like Shaq. I can't shoot a three to save my life, but I can dunk like a mofo. Dunking in this analogy <laughs> is strumming really hard, to which, to which Ryan replied, sports. I didn't reply, but I would have. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not a fast – I'm not really like a fast player either. I, that's something I've tried to work on. Sure. It's something I think that you can develop if you like really focus at it because I know sometimes like there are lead lines that I need to learn. And when I've actually taken the time to like, okay, I'm going to play this at like half speed. And now I'm going to play this at like three-quarter speed. Right. Like, if I give myself enough time, I can eventually usually get there. Especially if when I show up on Sunday morning, the leader changes the key to like a way easier one to play the riff in. <laughs> I'm like, boom, I'm there. Yeah, that's, that's what I needed to get that extra ten, that last ten beats. <laughs> um. So yeah, you know. Also, I don't know if uh, being like Shaq means uh, you just strum really hard. I think being like Shaq means uh, your amp is way too loud. <laughs> <laughs> too much uh, low end, and then the too. and then the backboard shatters. Yeah, but being like Shaq means that when you play, uh, you turn into a magical genie that can grant wishes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, I'm. I guess I. I think a lot of people would classify me as a fast player. What would you say? That's correct. I don't want to like sound I, like I'm I tooting always, a horn. I always think of you as a fast player. I, you know, I can play fast. I think it's one of those things where. You know, it's interesting, and I think it's something about the way, like, there's, like, style. I guess there's, like, style. I think you're stylistically fast. I don't think of you as, like, in the same – I don't know. It's weird. Here's, it's, here's what I say about myself. I, I When you think of, like, I think fast you play players, fast. You, because, you, you think of people who, you know, like these neoclassical shredders right. that, uh, you know, are ripping up the fretboard and, like, hitting every note. I my fingers can move fast. My my brain does not move as right. fast as my fingers do. So it's like my my fingers know have all this muscle memory for little tricks and things like little like rando licks that I can pull in between you know beats and whatever. But my my mind isn't thinking about it. I'm thinking about getting to the fifth or the seventh in the scale. Yeah. You know? So I, I think that what I would say for, for those of you who have, who like watched that when we were doing the guitar demos uh-huh. and we had Ariel uh-huh. on, um, I would say that you know how to play fast, 
Ariel knows how to play music. Exactly. hundred percent. Like, so Ariel, Ariel and you and Ariel are probably like, you can probably play as fast as Ariel. Sure. He can actually like do more than just play the same like riffs over and over. Yeah. I mean, like you're kind of, you have a much smaller box that you live in with speed. The, The reality with me is that, I mean, yeah, I, when I started playing guitar, I was like, I wanted to be play Dick Dale songs and I wanted right. to play kind of like shreddy, like Gary Hoey songs. Right. Uh, and I just wanted to play lead lines. I didn't care about chords at all. Uh, but the reality came into it eventually that because I worked on the, all that speed and I didn't work on, you know, like playing with a click or anything like that or fundamentals or playing like actual songs, um, that now my speed is a crutch because if you if you're playing fast enough no one notices if you're if you're uh, missing the beat if you're playing you know 16ths mm-hmm. like if you're playing quarter notes like and you're off the beat it's it's really going to matter yeah but if you're playing 16ths you're just kind of doing flight of the bumblebee over there right <laughs> so you have any uh do you have any thoughts for like you're not screwed. No, you, he's not screwed he if screwed? he doesn't play fast. Like most songs don't require the vast majority of songs don't require fast playing. Uh, it's I'd I'd still say that it's better to play smarter and to have a uh, your your most powerful muscle is your brain, right? Like if you can train your brain to be more musical, that's really where the power is as a musician. You know, I don't know if if it's actually I, I feel like it's a recent development. I don't know if it's actually a recent development, um, but um, I've been listening to more. I guess I wouldn't say I've been listening to like a lot of '90s music. I've been listening to a lot of different music, which we we touched on a, an episode or two ago. Sure, um, but I've also I have been like tapping like just other genres. Um, sometimes a lot a lot of times when I run, I listen to podcasts, but sometimes I just like need to get like I need to get like a focus music run. Uh-huh. Sometimes I'm just in the house and I want to listen to something different. What I'm going with is um I feel like guitar playing has changed a lot in the focus. Um and I feel like the fact that we have so many guys now that do like uh is it hybrid picking? Is that what it's called? Yeah like the fancy finger like, picking that like Mason Stoops does like that like that kind of stuff. You see that a lot more because I listened to so like yesterday I listened through Matchbox Twenties. No, is that this morning? I don't it was know. This man. morning I wasn't with I li- you. I listened to Matchbox Twenties' first album, which was like multi platinum album, uh-huh. and the guitar work on there's like I don't want to say it was good or bad, but there wasn't anything flashy about it. And like a lot of a lot of bands like that, like Third Eye Blind's first album, like in my head, like there's nothing on that album that's like, oh, that's really flashy guitar playing. But there's like some iconic riffs in it. Yeah, I don't know if that's something that's necessary that has or hasn't changed about music. I do think the way that we are exposed to individual players now with YouTube and with everything else has really changed the way as players we perceive our own playing. Sure, and the way we perceive other people's playing. Um, like, like I said, bef- versus before, where unless they. Somebody threw like a intentionally technical guitar solo into the middle of a song. Usually, the solo was either to give some kind of like break in the music, yeah, or um, or it's so just the to singer can catch up. their breath, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, so, I mean, sometimes there was like interesting stuff going on, 
but uh, like a lot of, I go, I, I guess I kind of go back to like certain like nineties and early two thousand stuff because it's stuff that I'm like, if I sat down with one of like a, a this song f- for like twenty hours this week. Like I think I could play the this entire song. Oh sure, like all the guitar parts. Yeah, but now there, I think there's more music where I'm like I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like I'd have yeah, to whole, completely like, like learn whole, a new like, finger, playing method. The whole like finger picking thing going on right now is is pretty nuts. Like where did it even come from? It's it's bananas. I don't know. Like like almost all the people like doing playing at booths at Nam are all doing this crazy finger picking. Yeah, I I don't know where it came from or. Or if that's what I'm expected to do now, because I'm not doing it. I do a little bit of hybrid picking, I guess, in the way that I hold a pick with my my thumb and my my index finger, and then I'll use my my ring finger to flick various strings. Right. But I'm not like these guys, just using their pinkies and every finger in between. You know, like it's nuts. It's yeah. A completely different skill. Pretty incredible stuff. Yeah. Um, I've kind of been, you know, in my thoughts my deeper thoughts about guitar as an instrument like you know there's articles out there claiming that guitar is on its way out and it's you know there's no more rock stars anymore there's no more guitar heroes and I'm like guitar is just growing up and it's become just part of the band now it's not yeah. the star yeah and it's still important we still are going to need guitar players and there's still going to be like famous guitar players but it's just going to be more niche and it's forcing guitarists to be more musical and be more like team players, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. And I, it might swing back around, like, you know, get a, a, a generation of guitarists who actually have to play to the band yeah. and rise I, out of that. And I think there's also, you know, not to belabor that because we did like an episode where we focused on that more. Um, but there is a lot to be said about like when, you know, Chuck Berry pulled out the guitar like you know this was in the elvis area where like elvis Elvis era era. (laughs) it was in the elvis area you know down there yeah (laughs) well that was you know that was where i was going with it is like chuck berry was had this like kind of lower slung uh guitar style or at least like he would like do the duck walk thing where he kind of got down dot like low and the and kind of like drew the guitar drew attention to parts of El, like the Elvis area that like you couldn't <laughs> that they didn't want to show on TV. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and then I was reading about or I was listening to oh, what show was it? Was it Guitar Nerds? Maybe this past past week it was some some podcast uh, where they were talking about the Jimi Hendrix. Uh, white strat that he lit on fire. Right, right. Um and that apparently that was because it was like he was trying to like outdo the who, I think. Yeah. Oh, I listened to that episode. It was a good uh, episode. Was it Guitar Nerds? Yeah. Uh yeah, no, what was going on is they were fighting over who was gonna headline the show. And right. the Who was famous for smashing stuff. And so yeah, he was like, if I'm gonna open, I'm gonna like like outdo them somehow. Yeah. Um so that you know so this was a time when like there was a and even you know Angus Young and wearing the schoolboy outfit or, outfit or these different things like there was there are iconic there is an iconic sort of like rebellion to electric guitar that just doesn't really exist anymore. If somebody smashes, it's already a, been done. If somebody smashes a guitar on stage now, it's like oh, and also I think in a lot of ways we're like socially conscious to where like oh. <laughs> 
oh, you just smashed a guitar stage. You could have given that to some kid after the yeah. show, man. No one, what for, a what yeah. a jerk. No one freaking cares if like the killers smash a guitar. You know, like, it doesn't mean no. Anything. Everyone cares, be, but it's like it's they right, care right. in like a bad way. They care in like a oh, you could have donated that guitar to charity and yeah. built fifteen thousand wells in a third world country well, even outside of that it just doesn't have the social impact I mean, right you know, like right you know the the who or Jimi hendrix were smashing stuff it was like i can't believe they're doing that i've never seen anyone do that yeah before. why would where, you do that where are they going to get more stuff before i think they're supposed to play tomorrow where are they going to get it right. you know where like it became you know by the time our generation came around in the 90s it was like people were smashing guitars almost to mock that like, right. All, like, all you really saw that in were like fringe. Like I think uh, it was this, like, you know, like uh, Kurt Cobain would throw his guitar 20 feet in the air and let it hit the ground. And he'd be like, we smashed, we smashed our guitar. <laughs> yeah. Get it. Get it. Cause like, uh, that's what rock stars do. Like in air quotes, rock stars, yeah. you know, like it, it felt more snarky and now it's just not even ironic anymore to do right. that. All right, let's hit this last ad. Let's do uh, it. This was from Awesome Cheap Guitars. I like the 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 uh, the development of that topic, though. We really, I <laughs> found her. Like we just got into the bramble with it. <laughs> I feel like we could do a whole. I really like. Well, so that whole that article, guitar, guitar is dead. Article popped up in a couple groups. Uh, that it's I'm gonna in again. show up twice a year for. Three and I was years. like, uh, I really just wanted to like post link to that episode again and be like, just, you should have just listen to this. You, you should have done it. If you can even find it, I don't remember what we called it. Oh, I'm sure I could find it. All right. Uh, so anyway, this is from Awesome Cheap Guitars. This guy says, I bought this official, with air quotes, uh, Floyd Rose guitar for $75. Actually, I think official Floyd Rose might be the name of a Facebook group. It might be. Um, this was, what, early 2000s? Uh, yeah, somewhere in there. I remember these being on the wall at Guitar Trader back in the day. Yeah. Basically, uh, Floyd Rose developed a guitar where you would put the strings on backwards. No, it uh, was more than that. Well, they were like bullet-ended strings. But they were bullet-ended on both sides. Oh, really? It was a completely tunerless design made specifically for this guitar. So you you slide those bullets into the nut, and then they would slide into the the bridge as well. Interesting. I didn't I didn't realize it went that far. Yeah. It's it's pretty nuts. And then you rely on the micro tuners of the Floyd Rose right. exclusively to to tune it. Right. And then of course adjusting the spring if you're changing um, the springs if you're changing. Uh, gauge on the strings. Yeah, so apparently uh, these stopped being made, and someone in the comments on this said that they're kind of they're like absolutely worthless now because nobody makes those strings. Yeah, you can't get the strings anymore, which is like you know is bricked technology at this point. Yeah. But yeah. I was I was thinking about that as I was looking at this ad and screen grabbing it for the show, and thinking if someone sold. Or made a template to make a piece of wood to fill in that hole in the headstock. Because the headstock is just there for looks. It could have been a headless guitar. Yeah. But if someone figured out a way to fill that hole and make it sound, there would be enough room to drill holes for tuners. <laughs> and I think the strings would slide through that nut just fine. And these guitars would probably be great guitars. They'd probably be great guitars. Yeah, I mean, I never played one. Uh, I, I mean, look, they're Floyd Rose branded guitars. I thought they looked kind of chintzy at the they time. Weren't, they the weren't time, cheap. They weren't cheap, but they weren't expensive. I think they were like, I want to say they were four or five hundred dollars at the time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which again, this is early two thousand, so this is back when like 
they were like probably a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars more than like a Fender standard Stratocaster. Sure, sure. Um, but I, I thought this was a neat design. I wasn't a Floyd Rose player, so I wasn't ever really attracted to them. It's just kind of this funky Strat knockoff yeah. that was all Floyd all the time. My thought on them. <laughs> Two was, and I guess it probably wouldn't be an issue, but if you really dive bomb this thing, could you potentially get the strings to pop out? <laughs> it's always the question. <laughs> it looks like they're in there pretty deep, and they probably address that issue in the design of it. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if some, you know, if some hot dogger out there could dive bomb this hard enough to get the strings to pop out. Right. <laughs> it's an interesting concept. And uh, it, I think it was one of those things where it's like reinventing the wheel t- too much. So it's kind of de- doomed from the get-go. Yeah. All right. I guess uh, I think that's the end, man. I think we made it. We yeah, survived. we did it. We're at an hour even, too. Wow. All right. Uh, so uh, thanks to our sponsor, Sinusoid. Again, right now, uh, if you're listening as this episode drops, uh, they are doing a uh, – What's the word? Like a charitable, like a, like, a, like buy a cable and all the uh, the gross profit, yeah. which means all the profit. It's not net profit. Yeah, it's the gross. All you're paying for the materials. They are donating their labor and all of what they would normally use to pay for their overhead. Yeah. Uh, to Samaritan's Purse uh, for uh, Hurricane Harvey disaster relief. So you get a really cool cable. Uh, you get to you know. You get to support a good cause and help some people who need help right now. Yeah, I think the cheapest cable is like in the in the low forties. Yeah, hey, that's, uh, that's, so that's cheaper than donating to Joel Holstein's church. Oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway, uh, so thanks, Sinusoid, for supporting us, and uh, we are more than happy to support you guys as oh, well. Absolutely. Um, this week's song was sent to us by Charles Gibson, who just joined the Inner Circle. He says, here's a song you can play on the show. This is a band I was part of in the early 2000s uh, as a vocalist. I don't recall much of the gear used, uh, but I believe both the guitar parts were recorded with a MIM Stratocaster. Uh, one of them through a, quote, vintage PV Butcher. Oh, nice. Uh, and all finesse through Pro Tools, but the rest escapes me. So this song is called Pill, and the band he was in was called uh, Classic Faults. Classic Faults. And there will be a link in the show notes uh, if people want to hear more from this band. Absolutely. All right, thanks. Later, guys. Bye. Sitting drunk